ufumaneke kuni ucho uyehova ngia kukubuyisa ukutinjwa kwenu their cadences embedded themselves into the folds of his mind rocking him gently to sleep when he awoke again he could see faint touches of gray sky through his bedroom's thin curtains enough light to see by he thought he sighed with relief as he gazed across the room seeing uncle lucius's bed empty moving out of his cot as quietly as he could he trembled in the october morning air draping himself in a fresh gray sweater and lacing up soft leather boots this was the him he knew he thought as he glanced in the mirror while brushing his raven black hair the strong chin the squared shoulders the eyes that made people stare as if captivated by something so honest there yet the memory of his dream filled him again with unease stepping into the hallway joshua heard lucius's snore rise up in the stillness of the house only a board or two creaked as joshua moved past lucius who lay belly up on the sitting room couch hugging a negro history book like a piece of cherished armor there was a certain peace so early in the morning joshua thought as he made his way through the porch door gazing up at a sky that was barely more light than dark with his bible in his hand he took a moment to take it all in as he looked down the dirt road lined with sleeping houses one of the best negro neighborhoods around as the wind gently rocked the hanging bench beside him joshua's mind flooded with a hundred memories this was a road always filled during the day with the laughter of negro children too young to comprehend the trials life had in store as they scurried about playing promising games from this spot overlooking hopedale street the clay family would relax on blue law sundays giving the lord his due uncle nate would sit there puffing his pipe blowing out a cloud of sweet smelling air recalling a memory dripping with molasses telling it with spice-filled words they would move inside only after daylight receded and the sun had been replaced by the moon by that time this street with no lamps would become lit by a kerosene lantern hung on every house or two the spirit of the times hangs in them lights uncle nate always said for the amount of illumination falling on the road always told of their state of affairs few lights had been burning brightly in recent years as persis grew thin and the depression wore on as joshua moved down the dirt road dust and pebbles stirring gently beneath his soles he walked more briskly than usual pulling his collar up to keep warm this didn't feel like it should he thought this morning he had expected to rise excited celebrating each last moment with his family this was everything they had striven for a negro minister chosen to go to africa to show that negroes could be trusted with great responsibilities it was such an honor everyone said so but somehow he couldn't diminish the twisting in the pit of his stomach he breathed in the morning's air enjoying the autumn sights he turned left onto anthony road the next left would have led to the only paved road in that part of the city which cut a path straight to the sprawling houses of the white neighborhoods where uncle nate tended gardens but on these special journeys Joshua always took a right onto a foot-beaten path that had first been forged by two youthful conspirators. As children, he and Darius had jockeyed their way down the undisturbed terrain to the spot where spiked tumbleweed gave way to green shrubs and moist soil. Joshua passed over that very spot now as the path veered northward 
then dipped down an incline to the spot where a tree had fallen, split in its middle. The sight always brought a smile to Joshua's face, as if that tree marked the end of one world and the advent of another. Its frayed ends were hollowed in parts, spotted with decay and renewal, with young plants poking their fledgling heads through strips of the rotting wood. Every time he passed through this wooden gateway, he'd walk past seven rows of pine trees, standing like unrelenting guards, into a cove painted with forty shades of green, a world in which everything had seemed to find its balance and rhythm. Joshua inhaled deeply now, as he took in the sights of this cove, which he and Darius had accidentally discovered. Tiny freckles of fallen rain covered all the leaves and needles, which hung as if with open arms, refreshed, blessed by heaven's drippings, and poised to greet the morning light. Folding his hands into a steeple, Joshua sat on a smooth rock beside the pond's waters. Many times he had journeyed here and stayed late into the night, looking up at a thousand candles in the sky. Before he had gone to Wilberforce University, and even after, when he returned home for visits, Joshua strolled off into this hidden retreat. He'd come to relish the beauty thriving in its every layer, in the crowns of the towering pines, on the pond's face with its lilies outstretched, down beneath the water's surface, where minnows swam. Each time Joshua entered this cove, he shed multiple husks with a glad heart. Venerable leader, incisive student, grateful nephew. Stripping down every unnecessary layer, he took long, easy breaths. In this place, more than any other, he could focus his thoughts firmly, praying, expressing his concerns, listening. His time near the pond, his time to be still, fortified him, producing the strength and wisdom that marked him older than his twenty-eight years. While his classmates would go nervously before congregations, licking their lips, holding their clotted speeches close, and following every word with a pencil, Joshua could square his shoulders up and leave his spot in the pulpit. Walking up and down the church aisles, he'd look his congregation members in the eyes as he delivered his sermons in a thunderous voice. Everyone around him knew he'd been given a gift. They could see it in the way his words kept Shella Perkins from jumping off the Bob Lake Bridge, and in how he'd inspired a congregation to feed the Johnsons well after their house had burned down. Ever since he'd been ordained, expectations had grown large about all he would do, all he could help achieve, and the communities all around him kept bestowing him one great honor after another. The latest honor, of course had come in the asking, when Professor James called him to his office shortly before winter break, during what should have been his last year at Wilberforce, the Negro college he'd waited five extra years to attend. Joshua had walked into the professor's room, struck as always by the gold-framed diplomas hanging on the dark-paneled walls. Professor James had always delivered good news to Joshua when calling him there. As the professor smiled at him from behind his mahogany desk, Joshua had wondered what it would be this time. Taking a seat, Joshua sat up squarely, rolling his shoulders back like Uncle Nate had taught. I had a guest yesterday, Josh. A missionary, actually. The professor paused, looking at Joshua intensely, eyes dancing. He wasn't coming to look for recruits, but then you came up at the board meeting. Joshua remained silent, taking Aunt Hattie Lou's advice to hold still in wisdom if you don't know what to say. 
The whole administration is still so impressed with how you kept those freshers from flaring up too much after that fight down the road, the professor continued. I'm glad everything stayed under control, Joshua replied. We will march on City Hall if we need to, but I don't think it will be necessary. Local officials have agreed to a meeting early next week and have already agreed to some of our demands. Joshua could barely hide his smile. Everyone understands what you did. You got an even temper. Means people respect you. You get things done. You've been a leader at this school for three years now. A more prominent leader than we've seen for some time. We're worried what we're going to do without you here. In any case, this preacher, Reverend Herman Watson, he's got his eye on you now. He was impressed by the stories and wants to speak with you. About the students? Joshua asked quizzically. The professor remained quiet. A pregnant pause filled the room. About serving abroad, he finally said, slowly, pride beaming in his eyes. Joshua thought he'd misheard. A missionary, Josh? The professor smiled broadly, responding to the look in Joshua's eyes. They want to send you to Africa. It took a few moments for the words to sink in. A smile painted itself across Joshua's face. You know, just like I do, it's rare for white missionary groups to send a Negro to Africa these days, Professor James said. It's not like it was years ago. Back then, even before they first hired me to teach here, hundreds of Negroes had already traveled to Africa to serve as Christian missionaries with those organizations. But you know, the tide turned. Half the newspapers in South Africa have been publishing articles saying...